Let's pray. God, we thank you for the miracle that happens when your presence is here. That in and of itself is a miracle for us, that you would invade our world, that you would invade our lives through your son, Jesus, to become one of us. And then when he went to the cross, went to the grave, shot out of the grave with all the resurrection power that you put upon his life. And Lord, when he left this world to leave his spirit here to be with us, it was a miracle for us to know. God, my prayer is that anyone here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that after we talk today, after we share, after we hear some of where you have brought our church over the decades and decades of people who have wanted that message to be communicated, God, my prayer is that the miracle of Jesus Christ would become alive in some lives here today. So we give you this time. We give you this time that we get to come before you now and open your word and share and hear you speak to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we also pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, it is great to have you here today. If you have a bulletin, inside that bulletin is an outline. I invite you to take that out. And as you are doing that, let me share with you one other announcement. Some of you already know this. You read it up here on the screen just a bit ago. But last week, I talked about some of the changes that we have made over the last month or two in youth ministry and then the change we're making in children's ministry as well. And so let me share some exciting news from you. It is with great joy and a unanimous uh, approval of our diaconate board that we have asked Nikki Lauer to be our new assistant pastor with children and families here at First Baptist. Yeah. So we are incredibly excited about that. She comes with a lot of wealth and knowledge and experience. She led our junior high ministry for 10 years. Uh, she also led uh, our women's ministry for a couple of years, joining that together. She grew up here at First Baptist Church. Uh, in fact, her choir leader, when she was in the second or third grade, came up after the 8 o'clock service just raving and beaming that we would do that because she remembers her when she was just a little girl. She was in my junior high youth group as well um, as I was able to lead her. She has been the executive director of the Pregnancy Help Center over the past four years when she stepped off of our staff. Um, and as I talked with her about this opportunity, she and her husband Stephen prayed about it and said, absolutely, yes, we would be incredibly excited to join the ministry on the staff here at First Baptist. So that's all pending your approval uh, at our business meeting coming up here in a couple of weeks. But we know that God is doing some wonderful, wonderful things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Excited, excited about that. So you have your outline. Take that out. You see it says, partner with us you see, I wrote up there on the top of the uh, new title, which is called I'm In. And, and let me say this. Let me say thank you to so many of you for saying, yes, we're in. We're joining. In fact, officially joining. In fact, last week at this time, I said that we had uh, some 70 people who were um, uh, signed up for the dinner to come be a part of that dinner here to join formal membership. That number now swelled this last week to 130 of you saying yes. We are in. We're going to join and be a part of the vision here. 
Yeah. And, and you know, I don't share those numbers to say, hey, great, pat us on the back, super, and all that type of thing. And I know you don't clap for that reason as well. We are celebrating, we're rejoicing, you're applauding that God is doing a miracle in our midst. He's got some new life, some new breath, some new vision going in here. And we're going to talk more about that over the course of this talk as well. As some of you know, some of the decisions that we are making as a church for going forward. But our series here, Partner With Us, has been dealing a little bit with, with membership and partnership here at First Baptist and talking about how it's, it's not a country club type of membership that we join into. Some people may feel like it is, but it's not. And I just want to say that up front. The people who are going to join with our church today, they will know that up front before they step in and, and, and join in. It's not about serve us. Serve us, serve us, serve us, pastor, serve us. But it's about service that we give to God. And we join in with that understanding. It's not about serve me or serve us. It's about service that we give to the Lord. And last week, that's why last week was so exciting as well. If you missed last week, we had hundreds of people who were looking at and signing up for different ministries um, in the Welcome Center and along the walkway. And I know that hundreds of you already are signed up to be a part of ministries and to serve in some way. In fact, we had over 700 of you invited last year to say thank you for the service that you've been giving to our church by having some sort of a ministry. And so we're thrilled about that. And, and remember, this church, church Biblically speaking, church is not like a cruise ship, all right? How many of you have ever been on a cruise ship, okay? How many of you have, uh, what, what do you do on a cruise ship? You eat, don't you? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's about all you do. Anybody ever lost weight on a cruise ship? Ever? You did not, Jolene. You... Oh, you were sick. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. That's how you lose the weight on a cruise ship. Yeah, because that's not why you go on a cruise ship, is it? You go on a cruise ship so that you can say, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, don't you? You go on a cruise ship so you can say, entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. I paid for this. It better be good, don't you? That's a cruise ship. Biblically speaking, that is not what we are. That is not what God set his church up to be. Biblically speaking, it's not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. Not a battleship inside the church, though, however, okay? Need to watch out for that. But a battleship that goes in the battle to take the darkness over from the world. To take over God's... And we listen, we listen to God's command in that. We listen to our commander-in-chief. In fact, what God has given to us here at First Baptist is a vision statement that says we are all about... Here's our command, helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. You know that, uh, uh, if you do not know that vision statement, you need to learn that. In fact, let me just do this right now. Can I have all of you be the helping people, okay? Say that with me, helping people. Okay, you all down here are going to be take their next step. Go, take their next step. Put it together, helping people. What are you guys going to be? Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus. Say it. In knowing Jesus. And then you, you guys got to have this line down. And making him known. Okay, try it again. And let me throw it together. Let's do it. All right, go. Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we're about. You know where that comes from? 
That comes from our commander-in-chief on that battleship, saying, here's what I want you guys to do. Matthew chapter 28, in fact, would you read the verse with me? Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, read it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are the very last words that Jesus gave to his disciples. And those same words come to us some 2,000 years later. And his same spirit, the spirit we just sang about, that is here, that is very present, was there because he said, I'm going to leave my spirit with you so that you will not be alone. You see what it says there at the end? I am with you always to the end of the age. Until I come again, I am with you. And so the challenge of our church and the challenge of any church that is biblically based is always about, and you have this on your outline, it's the only point I'm giving to you. Here it is, fill it in. The challenge that we will, is that we will always be about building believers and serving seekers. We are always going to be about that. Building up the believers, people who know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, know him, but we also want to serve those seekers. We want to save those seekers, those who do not know Christ yet. And so when they come to this church, that they will know that and understand that. Because understand this, the church has the greatest message ever, ever told. That message is that Jesus Christ came to save and seek the lost. He came to bring the lost into salvation and relationship with him and God the Father. And that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for us, to allow our sins to be covered with his blood, so that one day when he comes again, If we believe in him by faith, we can go to heaven and spend eternity with him. But it's not just about an eternity type of message. It's about a message here and now. It's about the hope of the world that is lived out and that is found in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. That is the message that church shares. And we will always be about building the believers up in that message and sharing that message with others who need to know that. But you know what's so interesting about this? Satan's got a plan, too. And Satan's plan, uh, it's enticing. It it is very enticing. In fact, let me just use Las Vegas as an example of this. Las Vegas, or as I call it, Lust Vegas. Las Vegas has nothing to say, but it says it so well. It has nothing to say. But it does such a great job of trying to say nothing and fooling and enticing people to fall into that type of a worldly lifestyle. Las Vegas has nothing to say, but it says it so well. Our church, the church Jesus set up, has everything to say, and yet doesn't say it very well sometimes. It doesn't. We, 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 we maybe get stuck in an error. We maybe get stuck in doing things the way that we've always done them. Instead of allowing God's spirit to fall fresh upon us and say, here's where I'm leading, here's where I'm guiding, here's where I'm directing you. Las Vegas has nothing to say. They just do a good job at saying nothing. The church has everything to say. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't say it very well. In fact, um, Facebook co-founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, many of you I know, you're on Facebook, you use it in positive ways. It, it, it can be a good thing. But here's what he said. He says he wants his social network to fill the role 
that churches and social clubs once filled in our communities. Now, this is what, this is what we've got to be careful of, okay? He said during the speech at the first Facebook Community Summit uh, a few weeks ago, he said this. He said, membership in all kinds of groups has declined over the last several decades. He said, that's a lot of people who now need a sense of purpose and support somewhere else. And then he began promoting Facebook and the large community support groups that he wanted to be a substitute for people who are no longer going to church or other organizations. He, he said, in fact, bringing people closer together is so important. That's what we're going to change Facebook's whole mission to take on that task. Now, that's okay. Let them have some of that. But folks, let me just tell you, Facebook will never replace the church. Okay? And we need to be a part about never allowing that to happen. I hope we can utilize Facebook, in fact, to bring people into the church. Some of you are listening online right now. We, I keep telling people who listen online, you need to come here to First Baptist as well. And now if you're out of town, we get that. I, in fact, there's someone from Poland right now watching our services. But last week, someone came to our church from Sacramento. They said, Pastor Brad, we just wanted to come down to the church and see what the church was about in person because we cannot get down here, but we watch your services from up in the Sacramento area. I said, God bless you guys. Thank you. And I encouraged them. I said, though, get to a church in person. You really need to do that because there's a fellowship, there's a community aspect to that. But you're listening right now, great. We love having you here, but come on. Come on, be a part of a church, be a part of a community, be a part of the family. That's what the church also is great at, is becoming that community. And if people are not willing to take that step, folks, you need to take that step. That's why we're doing the all-in church-wide series. That's why we're walking through the New Testament and not only having it be an academic teaching that we share on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week where you get to study with other people in the living room of someone's home or down here at church. There's a totally different dynamic that you step into. When you grapple with God's word, when you hear what it has to say to you, and you get to share that with other people. I mean, my community group, I, I see them all over the congregation here, somewhere at the 8 o'clock service as well. We love being together. We love praying for each other. There is some, God enters into that home because of his people joining together. The message, though, that we share is that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we need to be that kind of community. That message, that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, is what you will join into when you're a part of First Baptist Church. And being a part of that family really is a gift that God gives to us. It's a gift. In fact, let me read from you, again, this book. I've shared it over the last couple of weeks. Our, our uh, staff and our diaconess have gone through it. Let me share with you just a little bit more about how many people might view that gift of church membership or partnership uh, as opposed to the worldly standpoint, but then the biblical standpoint. Let me just read this. The author, who again is Thomas Rayner, says this. He says, imagine a child facing two scenarios. In the first scenario, mom tells little Johnny that he must clean his room. It must be spotless. He will probably have to put in hours upon hours for his efforts. Anything less than perfection is not acceptable. And whatever he like, uh, whether he likes it or not, that room must be cleaner than it has ever been before. How many of you just heard your mom in that, in that scenario? Yeah, I was there, okay? Now I'm one of those who says that. In the second scenario, however, mom tells Johnny that someone 
has given him an incredible gift. It's wrapped and ready to open. She increases his excitement by letting him know that his gift will be one of the greatest he has ever received and ever will receive in his life. It will bring him countless hours of joy and excitement. Okay, he says, if Johnny has the choice of scenario one or scenario two, which one does he choose? Yeah, duh, right? Scenario two. Okay, right. I know the two scenarios are unlikely, and I know that the choice is obvious, but every church member faces two distinct scenarios where the choice is just as obvious. Listen, in the first option, we approach church membership similar to a country club type of atmosphere that we've talked about here in the last few weeks. We're joining the church to see what we can get out of it. The pastor is to feed us, feed us, feed us through his messages. We have specified an acceptable range of length for that message to be given on Sunday. The music is to to fit our style exactly. Any deviations will not be acceptable. The programs and the ministries are for our benefit, and we will determine what we like and what we don't like. We are members who expect perks, privileges, and service. So what happens in that country club type membership is that what happens when people are asked to contribute and to work in the church? What happens if a member is asked to serve in the nursery for a couple of weeks? What happens if someone is asked to lead a junior high boys Bible study? (laughs) Oh boy. The response is predictable, says the author. One country club member may agree to the request out of obligation. She has a legalistic approach to serving. It's not as though she wants to. After all, country club membership is not about working. It's about being served. But since she's been asked, she begrudgingly accepts and begins the ministry with a bad attitude. She won't last long, says the author. Other country club members just get mad when they're asked. Some may respond that they did their time years earlier and don't need to now. They make ministry sound like a prison sentence. Still, some refuse to offer a reason why they won't contribute. They're simply indignant that they were even asked to do something. And yet another group of country club members, uh, church members, might get angry towards the pastor. After all, pastor, that's what we pay you to do. Those pastors are just being lazy trying to get out of work. But there's a second option. To church membership. It's the biblical option that sees membership as a gift, something to be treasured. Membership means we have the opportunity to serve and give rather than the legalistic option or obligation to have to do. And our entire attitude is different when we approach membership the biblical way. The way that Jesus set it up. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. The biblical view of church partnership is a healthy view. 
where the body is healthy, the body is active, the body is working, the body is not just saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, and getting fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter, but is also dieting, is also exercising. That's the biblical model. In fact, do any of you remember that show, that cartoon, Bill Cosby was the voiceover for it, that gang of kids, those lovable kids, um, probably in the 60s or 70s, remember what they were called? Fat Albert, right? Remember that? Remember, hey, 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 I'm, yeah, you remember it, okay, we've seen it, right, right? Now, that probably wouldn't be a real um, politically correct way of saying it today's day and age, but that's what, that was his name. Fat Albert. Well, you know what? Churches are filled with fat Albert Christians. When you just sit on the sidelines and when you just say, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, instead of getting involved, instead of being active, instead of serving, it's feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And Jesus had to deal with some of these fat Albert Christians. Well, I don't know if we can call them Christians. They were fat Albert religious leaders. In fact, they were called Pharisees. And did you know that the Greek word for Pharisee is actually Fat Albert? No, I'm joking. I'm joking about that. I just thought I'd throw that in there to see if you're paying attention. And eh, no, no. But there's a time when Jesus was talking with some of the Pharisees. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 14. It's on your outline. It's up on the screen. We're going to have it there as well. But if you have your Bibles, open them up. It's good to get our pages turning. Luke chapter 14. And... Um, Jesus is, is at a home where there are some Pharisees, and he's talking with some people, and he knows that the Pharisees are listening in. And so here's what he says. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. He says, now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, uh, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by the host. And he who invited you both will have to come and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Just say, let me save you a little humiliation. Let me save you the shame walk, all right? Says, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be what, First Baptist? Will be exalted. Jesus seems to be saying here, hey, let's put a little bit of this into action. Don't just come and feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. What you hear put into practice. Don't just talk about it. Get out and do it. Don't just eat. Exercise. Put it in the faith. You know, Jesus had this marvelous way of afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. And so hear me on that. If you're being challenged a little bit by this, if you think I'm stepping on your toes, then maybe it's because you're a little comfortable around here. Maybe you've had too much of a country club type of atmosphere or attitude towards church. And, and the Holy Spirit is who gets in there and, and afflicts people in that way to say, no, that's not the way it is. And if you're coming in here today and you feel down and out, kicked to the curb, hardships going through life, that's where God's Spirit also comes in and says, let me comfort you who are the afflicted. And I know I'm speaking to both here today. And so we just allow God's Spirit to work in the midst of what we're teaching and what we're saying. But Jesus was in this audience of, of religious 
Pharisees. When Jesus shared, he, did, he didn't hold back. In fact, jump over a couple of books to the book of Matthew and look in chapter 23. Again, we'll have them on the outline on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus is telling a crowd of people with the Pharisees present what these Pharisees' motives are. Look at this, verse 23, uh, excuse me, chapter 23, verse 7. He says, they, and he's really talking about the Pharisees here, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. What is he saying here? All right, there were these, there was these boxes that these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, would, would, would wear. As they walked through the people, they would have these boxes on their heads with a band around them. And what that box was doing is it was a place where the Pharisees could put the Bible verses that they had memorized. Because in the Old Testament, God shared with Moses about, take my word, bind it to your foreheads, bind it to your wrists. And in the New Testament days, the Pharisees, they followed that literally. Instead of memorizing it, instead of having it so ready by hand, they would take these boxes and have little parchments and vellum in there uh, of writing on there, these verses, so that anytime they can pull them out and say, well, here's what you should know. See, I have it on my forehead. I know it. They would also have them on their wrist. I mean, it's like a big old wristwatch that they have. It's a box there that they would walk around. And they would just be showing themselves, look what I have. Look at the verses that I have and that I know because I'm following God's word. And Jesus says, oh, man, you guys missed it. You bombed. And look at your actions. When you come into a place, you take the best seats. You don't allow them for others. You, you love to be called rabbi. Right, Reverend, Pastor, you know, Dr. Brad, you know, they just kind of seeking, no, 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 no. Jesus says, ah, that's not what I want for you. In fact, go to verse 12 and, uh, 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your, what's the word there, your what? Your servant, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What's he saying there? He's saying mature Christian mature believer, and I'm standing in front of hundreds of them right now, mature believer, it's not about you. It's about you being a servant. It's about a servant lifestyle. It's about living it and telling it. Living it and telling it. Remember show and tell in your kindergarten days? Remember how exciting that was? Right? You get to show and tell something. That's what God's saying to us right now. Show your life. Tell my message. Show what Jesus has done in you. Tell about that to others. Yes, you, show and tell. That's what it's about. He goes on, verse 15. He says, woe to you, and then he gets these, you know, these seven woes. So you give me, let me share a couple. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Oh, you think that went over well? No, no, no. But Jesus just said it. He's like, oh, man. Church people, don't play church. Don't act like that. In fact, you know, we, we, years ago, we used to have people who would say, you know what? There's people here, Pastor. There's people here who have blue hair. 
There's people now who have mohawks who are coming around here. Pastor, what do we do? I say, great, super, bring them in. But pastor, 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 you, do you understand that they have like piercings? Like, 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 I've never seen somebody pierce that part of their body before. I'm like, great, super, bring them in. Pastor, they're not supposed to wear hats in the sanctuary. And I would say, you know what? They don't get that yet. They'll get there. Let them come in. Let them come in with however they are. If they have a giant hat on, we'll change it out for a Dodger hat. That's okay. We'll get there. We'll help them with that. It's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Just joking. Just joking. But they'll get it. I know it's a respect thing. You know it's a respect thing. We know when you're house lord, you know, it's probably best to take that off. Let them come and let them hear it and let them get it. But don't chase them off right away. Let them come in. But pastor, you know, they're all dressed like this and like this. I had one of our church members tell me recently, he said, I lost focus and concentration in the service because the miniskirt was just so mini. I said, you know what? I said, I've lost concentration a time or two myself. But come up front. Come on up front. Then you won't have that concentration loss. You get the focus on the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on Him. Yes. Share the message. Tell the message. He goes on in verse 23. Look at what else he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Don't forget what, what's important here. Don't get so legalistic, Pharisees, that you forget what's really taking place. In fact, you know, we have a lot of people who uh, come now from out of other faiths. And I'm sure there are some right here right today who are exploring the Christian faith. You're saying, what is this all about? I'm not sure about it. Let me listen. I want you to hear what this faith is about. There's others of you who came out of a different religion. In fact, some uh, uh, gal emailed me a number of months ago. Let me just read to you part of her email. She said, I'm writing to you because, as you know, I once was, and she mentioned the other faith that she was a part of, a, a cult that we would say today. She said, all my family is still involved in that. And well, I, I've come to the point in my life where I can't really continue to sit on my hands. I have to do something to help my family and my friends who are still trapped in that way of thinking. God pulled me out of that religion for a reason, to help others escape. And I don't want to miss my opportunity, but I know I can't do it alone, and so far I'm not. With the help of some other friends in the church, I'm looking into that religion so I can know more about their doctrines and beliefs, and we are trying to come up with ways to get to teach and share specifically with our family members and friends. She says, I must admit, I'm terrified to try and preach to my family. As you know, they don't really want anything to do with me unless it's an emergency, and it still pains me to know that. She says, and truthfully, I'm scared that they will reject what I have to say and reject me even further than they already have. But I know God will give me the strength when the time comes. She goes on to say, I don't want to be just one of those Christians that is satisfied with just saving themselves and leaving it up to everyone else to save the world. God called me to share. He called me to help. 
He called me to get out there and be a part of his plan to save souls. And First Baptist, I, I, I could not commend this gal more to say yes. That's what he wants for all of us. Whether it be a specific religion that you were in before or some family or friend that was in or just not knowing about Jesus. It's our responsibility. God has given that to us to go and to share. That's the battle cry that he's given to us. And it, that special calling has been upon First Baptist Stockton for decade upon decade upon decade. And let me just remind you, when we talk about First Baptist Stockton, I talk about a local church and being a part of a local church. Because in Scripture, the church universal is only mentioned four times. All the other time it's mentioned, it specifically ties into a local body of believers. And so when people say, well, you know what, I'm just a part of the church in general, okay, that's fine. But biblically, you're to be connected into a specific body of believers. And when we talk about that call that has been upon First Baptist for so many years, in fact, 164 and a half years, people have been calling First Baptist home. In our Discover FBC class, the dinner that we're having tonight, um, I'm going to cover some of the history of First Baptist Church with them. And to think about, to think about so many who have sacrificed and come before us. To think about so many who have prayed it forward, who have prayed it forward and paid it forward for us to be right here today so that I can share with you that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I know literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you have come to know Jesus because of the ministries here at First Baptist. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you will be in heaven someday. Heaven. Your eternity changed because this church is here. Not because I'm here, but because the Bible and the message of God's word is here to share that. And we don't just stay here. We go, we share it north, south, east, west. We go, we share it across countries and on mission trips and other places. You guys are those ambassadors. You guys are those missionaries. You guys are the ones who stepped up and say yes. And now let me just say this, First Baptist. God is bringing us to a place that we need to make a decision. If we're going to continue to pay it forward. If we're going to continue to pray it forward. Because let me show you a few pictures here. Uh, these are some pictures of churches that First Baptist is called home. And this is a uh, church on the corner of Hunter and Lindsay Street from 1960, uh, excuse me, from 1860 to, uh, let me get that date right, from 1860 to 1910. But there were people before that, that in 1853 came together and said, we want to be a church and we want to call ourselves First Baptist Church. They met in a school for a few years, and then they met in a Fandango Hall for a few more years. I bet you didn't know that, did you? They said, we don't care what goes on here at other times. We just know that God has allowed us to meet here and have this place that we can call church on Sunday mornings. And so they did that. And they gathered in places like that, and eventually they said, what are we going to do going forward to make sure that this gospel message continues to be shared? They said, let's purchase land on Hunter and Lindsay. And that's where this first building came about. And then from 1910 to 1953, uh, uh, they took uh, the land and they built this building right here until 1963. And then in 1963, they called a bunch of people together and said, what are we going to do to continue to see this gospel message go forward? 
And they said, let's go north. And that's where they purchased this property right here in the 1950s. And this picture right here is a picture of them gathering in our gymnasium that they worshipped in for about six or seven, eight years. It was hot. I know. We did crosswalk in there for 13, 14, 15 years. It was hot. That's, that was church. And then in 1961, they came to an opening ceremony, which is right here, an inauguration that was in this building right here. And people gathered. They said, we want to sacrifice. We want to pay it forward so that people continue to worship here in this place. And that's what we're doing right now. And we have air conditioning here because people paid it forward. We have a sound system in here because people paid We're comfortable because people paid it forward. And now God is bringing that same call to us here in 2017. Because even in the recent future, Susan, go ahead and go to the next picture there. We know that many of you sacrificed to grow this church, and here's the, here's the gymnasium, and here's the worship center. But in 1991, we built a welcome center. And in 2004, we built a children's building. And we had people who made decisions to say, let's sacrifice, let's pay it forward to make sure that this gospel message will go forth. And now we're at the same place. Because here's the call upon us. Susan, go ahead and go to the next picture there. Is that God is now saying, this could be your land. Here's the worship center. Here's the children's building, the gymnasium that so many have sacrificed before us. Many of you have been a part of buying a property here in the parking lot here. But now God has brought this land to us as well to say, First Baptist, what do you want to do with this territory? Because we know on that territory we now have plenty of space to do all the ministries that we so desperately want to do, including things like VBS and Costume Carnival and other things where we have to, even right now, there are classrooms meeting that have been shoved into little classes where they're saving, uh, where they're sharing space with our school that meets five days a week. And I acknowledge them, it's the New Beginnings class. They have to shove those tables and chairs up to the side so that they can even meet. Now we can have more space to do that on Sunday morning. I know that now if we purchase property like this, we'll have a place where we at some point in time might even be able to worship all together. We might be able to have conferences and special speakers who right now have told us, no, we won't come to your church because your auditorium is not big enough. They say we have a board of directors and it needs to be a sanctuary that is at least a thousand people that can hear so that they can come. And I'm sorry, they cannot come to your place. Now perhaps we would have that opportunity to do that. Now we'd have an opportunity that we could continue to minister as if we had a place where we had a counseling center. Maybe it's a place where we could have other conferences. It's a place where we can have now a rock-solid basketball program, uh, could have space to grow and expand. It's a space that perhaps we can even have community events where we invite the community to come and share on our grounds, um, uh, utilize the space to have Stockton Unified School District or other places like that um, that we had here a couple weeks ago. We know that there's other organizations who would like to use the grounds. We'd love to have them use them. We also know that this sanctuary, and I'll share more about this in the upcoming weeks, but we've never in this sanctuary grown above 1,100 people gathering in this building here. That's why we started Crosswalk in the gymnasium, because we couldn't grow beyond that. Now we have to look at this and say, God, is this our opportunity to continue to grow, to continue to share that message throughout time? God is bringing us an opportunity. And as I mentioned last week, we need to be praying. We need to be searching God's heart on this one. 
Because imagine if we did not have a children's building. Imagine what our ministry would look like. But back in 2001, we had people who came together. Many of you are here today and said, yes, we want a children's building so that that message can go forth to the next generation. And now he's bringing the message to us to say, should we expand? Should we grow? So we will continue to see the message go forth. Folks, I pray that we will pay it forward so that if the Lord waits another 164 years, people can be on these grounds, people can be on the grounds to the west of us and be sharing the name of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about. Would you pray? Would you say, God, lay it upon my heart? Would you come tomorrow night and hear part of that vision? And then would you step up and say, God, as you lead, we'll be obedient. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your leadership. We thank you for taking us in new directions. We thank you for growing our territory, territory that you, you set before. God, I thank you for the numerous leaders who 164 years ago said yes to growing. And then over the course of decades, continued to say yes as they moved, as they changed, as the worship buildings changed, as the place of worship changed. But God, the gospel message simply continued to go forth. That is Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Lord, I thank you for that calling that you put upon our lives, that we would go, we, the the believers, the ones who want to be built up, Lord, that we would go and we would help serve the seeker, we would help save that seeker, that we would listen to your voice and say, Lord, yes, it'll be us who goes into the world to make disciples, baptizing them, teaching all that you have commanded us. And God, would we be willing to sacrifice like you have put upon the hearts of so many before us to continue to sacrifice, to see your territory enlarged so that this gospel message can be shared. And folks, maybe you are here today and you came in for the very first time to hear what was this church about. You need to know we're all about Jesus. We're not afraid to share that name in this society, a society that maybe has shied away from that. Oh, no, we're not to that place. We never will be. God, we want to continue to share the message that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And we will continue to worship you, and we will continue to praise you. And so, folks, if you're here today, and you've never invited Christ into your life, you can even do that right now in the simplicity of a simple message, simple prayer that would say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart today? I ask you to forgive me of my sins. God, I don't want to go my own way. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. Today, I follow you. If you just pray those simple words, God sees the intentions of your heart. And that is a life-changing prayer that you have now entered into. And so after the service, I'd be honored if you'd come talk to me or you'd talk to the friend who brought you. We just want to help you take your next step. Now that you know Jesus, we want you to grow. We want you to thrive. We want you to understand that it's not just about heaven someday, but it's about us living out this faith and helping people to come to a saving salvation faith. God, thank you for the call that you put upon our lives. Thank you for our opportunity even now to worship you. You are such a great God. Lord, we know the world has nothing to say. They just do a great job saying it. But today we know we have everything to say. 
And so as we end this time in worship and praise of you, as we claim how awesome and how mighty and majestic you are, God, we know how great our God is. Would you hear that from our lips? Would you hear that from our hearts? And would it change how we walk forward into this world? For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.